Hello Future Tribe, thanks for joining us today. We've got part two of our interview with Tommy from phrase.io. So if you haven't heard part one, I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode first. It'll give you some context going into this episode. Um, We talk about a number of things such as ensuring that the features that you add to your product um, are actually benefiting or needed by your customers. Tommy and I get into some interesting points there. It's something that you can easily get lost in sort of adding products and adding features that you think a customer would like and benefit from but um, they're not necessarily needing or asking for. I can certainly think of a lot of companies and features over the years that just didn't seem necessary and almost added bloat to a a product or an offering because sometimes less is more. Uh, We also talk about establishing a culture in a company where people work remotely. It's definitely a very topical thing um, given that when I'm um, recording this right now we've just seen uh, coronavirus take a proper stranglehold of uh, the world and globally everyone's sort of freaking out a lot of people working remotely we haven't done that yet on the podcast but I don't suspect that it's too far away that we decide to start working remotely as well just uh, to be safe Um, and the last thing that we talk about um, is why many startups aim for scalability as opposed to pure profitability it's something that If you're anything like me, you always wonder, um, you know, companies like Uber who lose a lot of money year in, year out, you sort of wonder why they do that um, and we get into a little bit of that. So without holding things up any longer, I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you stay safe. Uh, We'll talk soon. Welcome to the Future Tribe podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. De- definitely. So do, does your product then uh, have a chat sort of component to it? Or when, when I search for an answer and I get an answer, what do you, do you guys let me then action, like take a next step, like send an email or start live chat or how do, what does that look like? How does that work? Yeah. So, so, so we're actually trying to find markets where people want, are actually escaping from live chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one segment we're very interested in because that's the segment where for example let's say you're a website with three million visitors a month live chat is uh, extremely expensive to maintain both Mm -hmm. in terms of software license and people maintaining it so i'm actually actually interested in websites trying to run away from live chat now for websites that see the tool as a a conversion tool uh they would uh, we integrate with crm so we have an email kind of like uh you can trigger email capture in the Mm -hmm. system and we also integrate with a few live chats so you can actually transfer to a human in certain situations. Right. Yes. Yes. And and that's, I guess, going to, and that's just accepting that the market is a certain way at the moment. <clears throat> that's why you're integrating with live chat. But, you know, moving forward, you're probably, and, and it makes sense. Um, like you said, 3 million, million visitors a month. And even if 10% of them had, or even if 1% of them had questions, that yeah. that's, 
that's still expensive to maintain. Yeah, we're seeing, um, we're seeing about 3% of visitors asking questions in average across websites, which is a number that you don't really hear from many chatbot companies talk about how many people engage with the chatbot. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a number. If you look around on, the, on Google, you won't find a lot about that. Uh, it, it was a number I always wanted to know. That's why I'm bringing it up. And I, in average, my customers, is about 3% of visitors engage the system. Mm-hmm. So there are two, there, there's really two situations. There is the companies that, that need to stay away from live chat because they are too big, especially for public facing uh, pages. Yes. You know, in product pages, a different story that you, you need live chat inside the product because that's customer yeah, service. Yeah. yeah, that's just customer service. But yeah, government or schools and colleges, things like that, where they don't necessarily have a huge chunk of money to put personnel to answer questions. Need to stay there's, the who, there's the people who don't want to staff a live chat. Uh, we actually have a pretty interesting use case with a law firm in New Zealand, actually. Okay. Uh, it's an immigration law firm that they, they've become one of the highest traffic websites in New Zealand for all things immigration. But these these people wow. are they're lawyers and they don't want to be sitting in front of the computer answering, you know, in the live chat. Mm. Uh, and they don't want to build a marketing team either. But they have an agency that is cranking out content that drives traffic and it's a resource. It's almost like a public service. Yes. Uh, so that's another kind of type of segment I like because these people don't really want live chat, but they have content and they want to add value to their users. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's uh, switch gears a bit to um, maybe some of the, you know, some of the mistakes that you've made along the way. Uh, let's talk about phrase.io specifically. Um, any, any, you know, big things that you've done that, um, you would, you would, you know, tell the audience, hey, look out for this. Um, I, I'm not saying in terms of regrets. It's more of a don't, you know, don't think this or don't don't take this angle. Anything that comes to mind? Uh, well, uh, yeah, probably many things. I mean, one of the things is, uh, you know, building. We've built an, in, an insane amount of things and features. Uh, totally out, out of my own imagination. <laughs> you know, the, the amount of it, the amount of product either, you know, the, the only reason why we are still alive is because we've, we were able to do it very fast, kind of mm-hmm. like extremely fast iterations. But at the same time, uh, if I could go back, I would definitely validate a lot more before building, you know, talking to customers a lot more. Uh, sometimes what happens is that you find a customer that really likes something that you're building and you, and you assume that everybody else is also going to want it, but then you go to a second one and they want something else and a third one and they want something else. And you end mm-hmm. up with an amalgamation of features. Uh, so that was, a, that was a big, you know, that was definitely something we, we, we did for a while. Yeah. Eventually we started to see repetition of the features and that mm-hmm. was when a little bit normal, but overbuilding was definitely a, a, a mistake. Um, I think that you know, thinking of uh, thinking of um, kind of like what they what is kind of like the story of the problem. You know, like you're solving a problem, right? But thinking about how to tell the story of that problem, uh, and and that being way more important than your product, you know. That's something that I really just learned over time. You know, now when I when I go into a demo call, right, go like a, like a sales call, right? Or like yes. Now people call it a 
an exploration call to make it more friendly, but it's really, <laughs> a sell. It's really you know, it's yeah, a sales yeah. You're, you're trying to convince them to buy your product. Yeah. Uh, now, what I do now is that I actually start with the story of the problem. It's, it's totally, you know, I, I don't even show the product until they, they are buying that problem. Yes. Because like when you start, when you, I used to be, you know, I'm a product person and I used to go straight up into the details of the product, all these million features that we had, when in reality, I, I had no idea whether they even had the problem. I thought they did. Right. Yes. Because you started explaining the product. It's sort of like saying, you know, this is a Ferrari. It's a really, really fast car without realizing that the person shopping for the vehicle has six kids right. and, and a dog and right. they're not going to buy two, two car, a two, two car, uh, seat a sports car, no matter, you know, how cheap you're going to sell it for. Um, so sort of taking that approach of let's give them the story about, you know, why this, this uh, minivan um, is, is really comfortable, really luxurious and, yeah. and sell them on the story. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, we I believe that every business is there to solve a problem and serve a customer. Um, right. So every business has a story, no matter what you do, what you sell, um, whether yeah. it's software, whether it's cosmetics, um, at the end of the day, you're solving a problem for them, you know, um, yeah. And, and that's a very good point of sort of not getting, um, not getting too lost in it and understanding the customer in, in the picture because the customer wants to see themselves using your product. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, they don't have, there's no reason for them to, they're not incentivized to come into the call wanting to buy your product. That's not, they, they, right. they, they will come into the call not wanting to buy your product because that's right. going to cost them money, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely... Uh, that was probably the biggest learning, uh, you know, the, the power of that story. Uh, and um, I think that now what I'm thinking of now, the next, the next type of challenge is uh, thinking more about culture and growth because now now you're dealing with building a team that, that and, and that goes with another set of challenges I'm about to face. But up until now, I think it's been, you know, building too much stuff without, without any kind of evidence and focusing too much on the product without telling that story first. Focusing on the customer. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a good segue into my next sort of question about what you plan to do moving forward. So you're a team of four at the moment. Um, yeah. And are those four people in an office over there? Or are they some of them remote? Or uh, what does that look uh, like? Right now, it's, it's all here in Boston. I mean, this mm -hmm. is truly the, the kind of the backbone of the team. You know, it's uh, two engineers, myself, and a and a, and a uh, kind of like a growth person. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're about to hire, uh, we have two immediate hires coming up, probably starting January, which is marketing and sales. One mm -hmm. marketer, one hardcore sales guy. And then next year, so that's happening right away. And then we will kind of take it from there based on how things are going. But we're definitely looking at, at the very least doubling the team by next year. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, the reason I asked that is because I, even in my business is going through sort of a similar thing. We've just had someone sort of for the next month and a half, they can't, they can't, uh, turn up to work essentially just due to some other, other issues on their end. Um, and, um, you know, trying, I'm, I'm going through that process of trying to think about, you know, do you get remote people or do you get remote people to do sort of project-based work or do you get people in and then how do you build that culture and what, what do you, you know, 
trying to build towards because um, obviously that culture has to reflect where your business is heading and where you want the business to head as well. And um, I'd imagine, you know, having people there, I, I personally like it. We've got people who a lot of our staff come in, um, yeah. but then on the flip side, I guess there's the benefits of remote and a lot of people are heading towards that remote uh, direction of, you know, just do work when you can. Uh, my, my people don't come to us every day. I mean, mm. one of them comes once a week. Uh, actually, my partner comes once a week mm. uh, for different reasons, and it's fine. I mean, we're in constant communication anyways. You know, we're on Slack every day, or on the phone. It's, uh, I don't yeah, emails. You're, connect, you're connected, and if there's an issue pop up, the fact that you're geographically in different locations doesn't actually make yeah. a huge difference. But don't you feel like there's an issue or it creates, it makes, uh, adds a bit of friction to culture and creating culture? Oh, of course. No, no, it's definitely, I think that, uh, you know, I think that for someone to be a remote worker, they definitely need excellent communication skills and, and they need to be, you know, very responsible because otherwise it's very easy to, to be really loose and, 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 and really lose touch. And not the, uh, in addition to culture, which for sure is, is important, also really understanding the business and what you guys are doing. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, for example, I'm talking to customers every single day. You know, if an engineer doesn't talk to a customer or even knows what the customers are saying for months, that's a problem, right? Because they kind of lose context of why, why they're doing what they're doing. So yeah. I think that uh, it's culture, it's proximity to customers, understanding their problems, and you know, and all of that kind of builds culture. So, yeah, it's a tricky question. I mean, uh, I'm the CEO, and I mean, I wish everyone was here every single day. To be honest, that would yeah. be my preference. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you need to understand that uh, there is a trade-off, and I think there is a healthy balance in between. Yeah, between between it all. Um, one last question about moving forward. So, you're looking to hopefully double the team by say next. Uh, this time next year um and what does your trip you know journey to profitability look like is that is that a far goal is it a is it a shorter shorter goal um and how do you think about reaching profitability um in the in the grand scheme of things yeah so i mean so my goal right now is kind of the playbook in a startup kind of bc backed startup so what i'm about to say is not just really applies to me but i think it's the typical playbook you want to pursue so right now you know, so we're about to close another seed round, right? Like another seed funding round. And now the next step is really how do you get to the to the Series A? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is typically now here in Boston, you you you're kind of like you kind of qualify for a Series A. Of course, this depends case by case, but yes. typically you want to be somewhere close to a million dollars in revenue to start Series A conversations. You know, in, mm-hmm. in the context of SaaS, you need to be you know, anywhere between 70 to a hundred thousand dollars a month of like recurrent monthly revenue. Revenue. Yeah. So the question is how much do we need to spend to get there? You know? Uh, so, so right now we're in the process of like building out a plan to get that, to that next milestone. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that milestone though, you don't really want to be profitable. You want to show that you want to show that you can, imp- you can grow even more, you know, yes. Now, there's a million dollars coming up, but how do you then take the company from a million dollars to five million, ten million dollars? So it's this constant kind of like, uh, kind of like pursuit of growth that, that yeah. after because in in the startup 
Now, if, if you want to build a business and be profitable, and that's, that's totally fine, but that's just not what a startup is. Yeah, it's it's funny because that that, that VC world has led to this, um, and like you said, and I've never never actually thought about it that way. And I don't think I've heard anyone say say it, but it, it's what it is. Is that profitability really isn't the goal because because being profitable means that you could have spent more money and grown more. Um, and I mean, that's essentially I mean, what you're saying. Important in the sense that the financial model is a scalable. Yes. To the extent that one day, at what you know, depending on your market size, right? I think that's yes, right. Once you the most, like, let's mm-hmm. think of a company like Uber, right? Uber probably didn't want to be profitable quickly because they realize there is a massive global opportunity for this. If we keep growing fast, we can one day be a I don't even know what's the valuation, right? Mm-hmm. But yes. I think there's a lot of factors in place and. And, you know, there is a perfect chance that a startup reaches a, a point where they reach, I don't know, $20 million in revenue and they've kind of reached a peak and, and they struggle. And mm-hmm. at that point is where you either stay like that and, that, and that's where profitability becomes crucial. Yeah, important. Right? Yes, because you've, you've sort of reached your maximum market saturation and then then you're stuck there with a company that's losing money and then that that's where it doesn't make any sense. I, I get what you mean. So at while you're growing... Think of profitability or sell the company. I mean, there are different avenues, right? But yes, yes. Definitely yes. During the first three years, three to five years of the startup, profitability, uh, I don't think is that crucial compared to the ability to show that you can grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, love it, love it. Awesome. And um, I, 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 I lied to you. I have one more question about sort of moving forward. Do you guys have any, any? iterations or extra things coming up that you're really excited about um or or is the plan to really try and um continue to improve the product um incremental sort of improvements and get more people on board and get more customers? well we're definitely at a point where like i said we've built a lot of products that we've been a such a product-centric company for a long time i'm honestly right now really focused on on on, on nailing down the sales process figuring out this partnership program uh, I, I truly think that this idea of uh, answer engine, what we call AEO, I actually didn't mention this before, but we, we see the mm-hmm. SEO as being answer engine optimization. We pretty much see it as a new line of service for agencies. You know, we, we truly think that it's a service that, that is ideal for an agency to deliver. And um, we're trying to grow that way. So I think that I'm definitely focused on the business side of it now. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed about, about you know, uh, breaking even, but definitely obsessed about figuring out exactly why people want this, how much they want to pay and how to grow it. So, I mean, that said, the product is very exciting because I think it's a very exciting technology and uh, always, always trying to innovate more on the, on the science part of it. So that Mm -hmm. part is always going to be there. Yes. Uh, But but it sounds like your products, you know, at a stage where you're, you're pretty happy with it. And now it's just a matter of, working out the business around it to sell it and to, to, you know, yeah. uh, you know, right fit, market fit, uh, pricing, things like that. That's, that's sort of um, a more of a focus because your product um, is, is, yeah. is in a good place. And a huge focus on, on content and education. I mean, uh, being able mm-hmm. to, right now, for example, now we're, we're about to launch a, a, a bunch of videos that we didn't have. We didn't have a single video of the product or anything. So, Wow. All these things now that are 
pretty much all these foundational things that you don't get to do when you're so busy with the product. Now it's time to get your marketing materials, your onboarding processes, all these other stuff that were not even a topic six months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to sign up and see how it all looks and um, I'll let you let you know what I think. Uh, where can f- people find out more about uh, phrase.io? Well, it's just phrase.io. Uh, That's you know, phrase with an F, F-R-A-S-E dot I-O. We'll include the link F in the description. And an, and an S. So it's, it's phrase, which in Spain mean, Spanish means sentence. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. So phrase, F-R-A-S-E dot I-O. And the homepage uh, is going to ask you to sign up for free. Like I said, mm-hmm. free to sign up. And how long is, is a trial? Is it? Well, no, it's a freemium. So it's actually a freemium. So it's actually okay. uh, free forever, of course, with a bunch of tricks to get to hook you to <laughs> get, you, get you in. Yeah, I mean that's but, the mission to get you hooked and get you addicted, and then obviously, yeah. if it's if it's useful for the client, then the client should have to pay for it. So that very makes affordable. sense. I mean, it's a very affordable product. It starts at 25 bucks a month. We're actually going to be raising prices in January, but not too much. Still mm. going to be an afford, very affordable product. Uh, so yeah, encourage you to check it out and just check it out for yourself. There's no, uh, it's totally self-serve. So you can try it. There's nothing to lose. This episode was made possible thanks to the following supporters. Future Theory, websites, marketing and design that make your goals come true. Proudly based in Canberra, Australia. Visit us online at futuretheory.com.au. Awesome. We've got to the part uh, which I would say is my favourite part, which is the top 12. Um, Are you ready for this? The top top 12? Uh, I've got a bunch of questions to throw at you and uh, we'll get the ball rolling if you're ready. Sure. Awesome. So top three books or podcasts that you recommend? Do you read much uh, in terms of books or do you listen to many podcasts? Uh, well, I'm actually not reading as many books as I would like to, to be honest right now. I am definitely, these couple of years have been totally crazy, uh, but I'm definitely following certain, uh, you know, podcasts. Um, you know, there is a company here in Boston that there is a few... I guess a lot of girls related things that I'm following. Mm-hmm. There is a company here in Boston I like a lot called AppQs. Um, AppQs is a company that does a lot of, um, they've kind of built this this uh, idea of the growth, the product-led growth. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Like, uh, so do they have a podcast about it? or? Well, they have a really active blog and they do all kinds of stuff that is always pretty, pretty good stuff that matters to me right now because it's all about mm-hmm user onboarding, user tutorials, uh, and product growth in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one company I would recommend. And community kind of business-oriented because that's what we talked about. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, and then, of course, there's co- another company in Boston that uh, is kind of in the same space as me called Drift. Uh, maybe you know mm-hmm. Drift. I've heard of Drift, yeah. So Drift, uh, these guys are doing content like crazy. Uh, and they do have a podcast. It's a very cool podcast mm-hmm. called uh, Seeking Wisdom that I recommend, uh, where the CEO and the marketing guy get together and, and, and talk about, honestly, marketing and life as a whole. Mm-hmm. But very much similar to AppQs, talking a lot, a lot about growth and talking about marketing. And uh, I don't know, when you're in, in this mindset, in this kind of growth mindset, I think it's it's nice to hear what others are doing and these guys. Are definitely, definitely. And you learn learn from them as well. Yeah. 
Um, any any other any other books or podcasts that you would that um, you've read, listened to over the over the years that come to mind? I don't know. Those are two that came to mind immediately. Um, yeah, no, that that's all good. We can move on to the next one. So, top three software or tools that you can't live without. I imagine as a SaaS product, you guys have a lot of software on the back end. You know, daily planning stuff, right. um, bug um, bug tracking, all that stuff. What what's the top three you would say that you use so daily? I use uh, I use Trello. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I use Trello for, um, you know, for task management. I use, uh, well, I use GitHub for, mm-hmm. for code management. <laughs> uh, honestly, we use so mentioned Slack before as well. We use, of course, uh, and Slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, those would be your top three, you would say? Top three. Those pro- of course, you have Gmail that you, you need. Mm-hmm. Anything that we haven't heard about or we wouldn't have heard about? That, that you use? Um, let's see. Well, I use phrase. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, but I use AppQs for, for product stuff. So all of all of our onboarding tutorials and tool tips, stuff like that is, is AppQs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We use Drift for chatting the product. Uh, yeah. But that's it. I'm actually not such a huge innovator in terms of tools. I mean, there's so many things that I... <laughs> That I that manage for the whole company that it's just uh, a lot. Honestly, it's a bit overwhelming the amount of tools that we use. I mean, yeah, no, it, it makes sense. I mean, you you've sort of listed the best at what they do um, for the different for the relevant you know services anyway. So um, that makes total sense. And I guess you're in a position where you don't you can't really be trying these new new things that are coming up because that's not your focus at the moment. You, yeah. You're sort of trying to grow your own business. So, um, when, you have to pay, when you have to pay for all these tools, you kind of like, you know, become more critical about what to use, I guess. Yes. Uh, while the engineers are, of course, testing all kinds of toys and things, I'm, I'm a lot more practical when it comes to tools. And if it works, you just pay for it and, and you know, there's the value there. So, um, Next one, top three mantras you try and live by. Anything you tell yourself when, you know, things are down or anything you you sort of repeat to yourself or try and live by? Mentors? Um, mantras. So, oh, mantras. you know, yeah. Um, well, I like to, f- I like to feel like, um, I don't know, I like, I kind of like to lead by, I guess, by example. You know, that's, uh, I'm the type of person that might not be, I mean, I think I'm, Definitely, a workaholic. I work. I work way too much, and everybody tells me. <laughs> well, uh, but you know, I think I like to. I think that causes an impact on the people around me, and I think that I'm pretty sure that the people I work with, uh, you know, see me working very hard, and 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 I think that. I mean, the way I see that is that I try to lead by example in in a way that I like to work with very independent people that you know hopefully i don't need to be on top of them and mm. inspired by the fact that this guy is is doing everything i can to make this happen so i think that's yeah yeah like um you know i definitely one body in the company is that you know a commitment to to diversity and and being open to cultures is is something i'm kind of an activist about I've been mm-hmm. an activist, kind of. I mean, an activist. I've been supporting a lot of stuff, for example, related to immigration in the U.S. I mean, I mean, I'm an immigrant myself, and it wasn't easy at all to to be where I am today from an immigration perspective. And now, uh, one of one of our colleagues is also also 
you know, not Amer not American, but we are both kind of making it here. So I think that's something. Uh, that yeah, no, I, I love it. Lead by example, uh, make an impact with the people around you, and um, trying to support uh, diversity and, and cultures as much as possible. They're yep. they're very three fantastic three things to live by and the last one uh we sort of covered this before but anyone you follow or study and, and why you follow them and, and study them any ceos marketers uh, anyone interesting well, yeah i mean well of course steve jobs is one that is mm -hmm. kind of always there <laughs> um for reasons that people already know him so i think we need to go into why um, I've personally always been a huge fan of uh, Ed Williams. Ed Williams is the, he was the founder of Twitter and he was the okay. blogger before Twitter and then founder of Twitter. He's the founder of Medium. Uh, mm -hmm. So Ed Williams is pretty much the father of, of uh, kind of like content systems on yeah. the internet. So I've traditionally for a long time, I've been following him and I think he's a very, a very thought, thought, thoughtful person that you know that I like. Um, like I mentioned, this company Drift in Boston has uh, has some really cool people leading the company. Uh, the founder of the founder of Drift, David Cancel, uh, he's definitely inspiration. Uh, he's his fifth company, so uh, wow. he's learned a lot about the journey and and um, he's definitely someone I follow. Um, I don't know. And then I have a few more, like maybe not well-known people, uh, but you know, the, the role of mentors, I think is very important to you. You know, yes, you might not know them. They're not famous, but no. uh, developing mentors locally. I think that's, uh, you know, pretty important for me. Very important as well. Yeah. Awesome. No, love it. Well, um, that, that just about wraps up this, this episode, Tommy, thanks for hopping on board. Uh, Thomas Ratia from phrase.io. I will include all the links to everything that we've talked about um, and links to all the people that we've talked about um, in the description as, as usual. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining. Of course, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app.